This episode today is brought to you by Grinding Coffee Co. Grinding Coffee, a black LGBTQ-owned coffee business that donates a portion of every sale to charity. Coffee is imported from around the world and they pride themselves on great customer service for a small team. Use promo code PITLANEPARLAY for 13% off your order. Welcome to a special episode of Pitland Parlay. I'm your host, Mike Jokum. Joining me for, I guess it's been probably since late last year, is Frank Santoroski, runs dri- uh, Drafting the Circuits. Ooh, I almost said Driving the Circuits. You can tell it's been a while. But, sir, how are you? We're going to do another lost track here for the first time since probably last November, I think. So how's everything going, man? Oh, good, man. How's it going with you? You know, I'm... I'm living the dream and hanging out and excited to talk another old racetrack here is doing some digging and I wanted to find something and I know Dale Earnhardt's lost track show has talked about this. I did not watch it in advance because I, well, I forgot, but jungle park speedway, which is in Bloomingdale, Indiana, one of the premier Midwest racetracks back in the day. It was in the operation from, I believe, the mid-1920s until 1960. Also one of the deadliest tracks. As you and I saw, and I'll post this picture on our social media when, when the episode comes out, the, the grandstands kind of looked like if you got a gust of wind, they were going to blow away. So not really very well built, obviously, and there was like zero sanctioning. I don't know where you want to start other than that, but I will, uh, I'll turn it over to you and see where we go with this. Okay. Well, jungle park speedway, actually, you know, although in that picture by today's standards, those grandstands don't look really <laughs> sturdy, uh, by 1926 standards, uh, that was state of the art. I mean, covered grandstands were, uh, uh, you know, a luxury. And, and so they built a track and they built a little resort, up the road from a, you know, a little resort style hotel shaped like a windmill, had a restaurant on the grounds there. Um, and it was uh, in the middle of the woods. It was in a heavily wooded area, thus the name Jungle Park Speedway. A uh, guy that uh, opened the track was uh, Earl Padgett, his name was. He opened it up, started building in 1926. The layout is a half mile and it's, it's almost a circle. It's not quite as circular as, say, a Langhorn. Yeah. But it's but it's definitely closer to a circle than an oval. Uh, and the the original paving was uh, something that was they would do back then, which was crushed gravel and oil. Oh, wow. I mean, if you recall, the original service for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway was also the crushed gravel and oil before they uh, went ahead and laid the bricks down. Um, in later years, they paved the straightaway, but they kept this gravel in the in the turns, um, and they opened up for racing in 1926. Um, they would get four to five thousand folks there on a race weekend, and and these were open wheel cars of the time. Um, you had some, uh, you know, some of the the bigger names from uh, Indianapolis um, yeah. competed there. You know, Rex Mays, uh, Maury Rose. Howdy Wilcox, Wilbur Shaw, uh, all these guys raced at uh, Jungle Park. 
but but it quickly got a reputation for being number one pretty deadly and and number two pretty rowdy the, the crowds there were pretty rowdy. i don't know if it was a bad section of town or what or if they just had great beer prices but uh, uh there's a couple stories that we'll share a little later in the in the the broadcast about uh some of the crowds there but they um you know the 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 early races were uh, they had um some serious banking on this, you know, kind of a smallish oval. So they would get to speeds of, uh, you know, up to a hundred miles an hour. And we're talking the 1920s and thirties, you know, whizzing around a, a one mile oval at a hundred miles an hour is, uh, you know, for that time, that's pretty amazing. Uh, it's pretty quick. Um, the first fatality there was a, a track worker, um, who was uh, trying to repair a divot in the track while the cars were running, which, you know, this makes no sense to me. Uh, the next fatality was a spectator who was crossing the track during a green flag run, which according to the article I read was commonplace in the day, but I guess they couldn't get across the track quick enough. Uh, you know, just things that, that if you think by today's standard is just uh, mind crazy. blowing, but uh, they, they, but you know, there were several driver fatalities over the years. Um, they have 22 fatalities um, alone in the decade of the 1930s. So, but yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking at the banking. The banking is pretty steep. And I think what's also important to note about the banking is there's, there's no wall. So if you, if you, if you kind of miss the banking, you're going into the trees. And the trees are the sort of things that killed a lot of those drivers, you know? Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's uh, no banking, no walls. The, uh, the grass says they had pretty much, they had like chicken wire, um, <laughs> you know, keeping the, uh, you know, in front of the grasslands, which, uh, you know, and another spectator fatality happened when a, uh, you know, a car hit a fence post and send that fence post right through the chicken wire into the crowd. Um, so yeah, it was a pretty dangerous place, but also a pretty rowdy place. Um, you know, I was reading some stories about, uh, you know, people that are light lighting firecrackers and other people's shoes oh. uh, in the stands here, just thinking that's kind of fun. Uh, <laughs> there's a, there's a, a great story where everybody's drinking some beer and, uh, you know, car crashes, flips over, catches on fire, which of course there's no, you know, no safety crew, no fire truck on hand. So the spectators are dumping bottles of beer on the burning car, trying to put the fire out. I mean, you know, if you could just, you could just imagine how disorganized this sounds, right? But, but yet they attracted some of the greatest drivers of the day. And, um, you know, and again, the sanctioning was supposedly through the Wabash Valley Racing Association, but I guess they were pretty loose with number one safety and, and, and number two, um, you know, just uh, any kind of rules or procedure. Uh, there's another great story I read about, uh, uh, a guy who was there racing um, and this fellow, he's one of the, you know, 86 years old now, one of the last living guys to have actually raced there. He was, he was there at, uh, they do hold a reunion at the track every year, which we can talk okay. about in a bit. And he, um, he was there and he was talking, he said, uh, the guy doing the timing and scoring, he happened to notice the guy didn't actually have a stopwatch. He had a silver dollar in his hand. and was pretending it was a stopwatch thinking he was fooling everybody. And just eyeballing the speed. So, uh, you know, again, you know, we're, we're pretty spoiled with digital timing and scoring, you know, no one's going to fool us with the silver dollar, but uh, just, uh, you know, if, if you doubt that uh, early drivers were brave, 
I mean, here you go. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is everything about this track just screams crazy. There was something I was just looking at. The, there was a one day there were buzzards that went into the stands in the middle of a race. There was a small hotel that was built on the track grounds. It burned down. There's also a restaurant that was supposed to look like a windmill. It's still there, but obviously is no longer in use. Even just looking at the. Yeah, that's our, the, that's the, the windmill restaurant, the hotel. That's the, the resort that was, okay. I mean, in the twenties, it was pretty fancy place to stay, but you know, time is taking this toll on those buildings. So it, I know it was around for a while, closed for a little bit. And then I think it opened back up for like a one night, like, shootout to to end the the track career right right so what they did well it, it the track closed in 19 it opened in 27 it closed in 41 of course every track in the country sure. closed in 1941 due to world war ii they, they they got they got up and racing again in 1945 um and they actually had a pretty long stretch with no fatalities until a you know they had a they hosted some stock cars there and a guy lost his life there but, uh, you know, the crowds started to diminish, you know, um, you know, they've been in operation since the 20s. So they they closed in 1955, I believe. Uh, but they wanted to revive the track in 1960. But the the track service itself w- was kind of in a bit of a bad way. You know, again, we're still we're talking some pavement on the, the straights and still got this crushed gravel. But that pavement had been sitting vacant for five years so they just they built a half mile or i'm sorry a quarter mile dirt oval inside the existing oval interesting and attempted to revive the track and get back to race and they held one race there it was a sprint cup race or you know a sprint car race not a sprint cup a sprint car race and during that race a you know car hit a divot in the track flipped end over end right into the grandstands um and killed killed a spectator and then that was the end that was the end of racing at um jungle park speedway yeah i feel that that sounds like a scene from driven to be totally honest with you but they were you know 60 years ahead of their time there but probably a good reason to close the track at that point because you're either going into the stands going to the trees or i see here looking at this map you're ending up in looks like a river or a creek or, or something along the back there so I feel yeah, like there the, were there were cars that ended up in the creek. Yeah, I feel like that's the best place to end up out of the three of those options, which is not a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but in the in the ensuing years, I mean, there were some folks that had bought the property, and they had no plans to uh, revive racing at all. But they they did run a canoeing business, so they needed that property as a as access to that creek uh, that goes into the river. Yeah. Um, so they, they use that as a, as a launching place, but they, and I think they're no longer in the canoeing business, but they do still own the property and they host a reunion there every, every fall uh, where people bring, bring out some vintage cars and some of the folks that uh, remember the racing there and come out and they, you know, they get like a thousand people. And it's a, from what I understand, it's a, it starts out as a Facebook event. Okay. And then people show up for that and, you know, they bring out some classic cars and, and uh, people share stories and it's, you know, kind of a once a year kind of deal. Uh, but there are, there are still, you know, a few folks that remember um, the racing there and the, and the, the times there, both good and bad. I mean, you, you know, you got to admit, despite all the fatalities, it sounded like a lot of people really had a good time there. 
Um, I mean, it was rowdy. It seemed like a good party atmosphere. I read something that uh, one time a car was on fire and, you know, because there was no safety vehicles or safety or fire extinguishers, fans in the stands actually attempted to, I don't know if they were successful, put out a fire with the beer that they had in their hands, which is, again, just goes to show how, how nuts this place was back in the day. Yeah, absolutely. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there. My name is Michael Laminato, and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts. Let me see here. I'm looking at old pictures. It looks like a real look. I would love to go to the reunion, especially once, I, once I'm out in the Indy era. I was actually in Wabash last, last week. So I would love to, I'm assuming the Wabash River Valley is River Valley is not far from there. But then again, I'm no geography expert on there. The old sprint cars that are there, there's, you know, there's not much of the track left from what I can see here on the video uh, or the pictures. That windmill restaurant is about it. Some old signs that have fallen down. Fencing, which is clearly rusted and fallen over. And maybe yeah, I think, I think they like the entrance, uh, the, the, the big uh, kind of arch over the entrance. That's the Jungle Park Speedway is still there. Yeah. It's a batch tape, but it's still standing. Uh, as, and there's also, there is a you know, state of Indiana historical marker uh, right there on the site. So, you know, the, uh, the state does recognize that as a historical site. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I definitely, out of the lost tracks that we've talked about, this is probably one of the ones you can actually go on the grounds and, and check out what's left. There's some cool photos. This is speedwayandroadhistory.com. I'll share this in the episode notes or social media, but is there anything else that we, we missed from this epic old track? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, again... It, it's kind of, I was, I was trying to find some, some records of, of, uh, you know, wins and losses. Yeah. There's not too much I can find, there, but a lot of those, you know, because they weren't sanctioned by USAC or weren't sanctioned by AAA, a lot of those records just don't exist. Um, so you're, you're kind of relegated to looking, uh, looking up old newspaper articles from the time and whatnot. Um, so, but I, you know, I'd like to say I did see a couple famous names in there. Uh, I think there was a guy named, um, 
uh, Earl Cox, maybe, maybe that's right. Maybe that's wrong. Who was the guy who won the most races there? Yeah. Um, yeah, funny. Maybe that's the name. Maybe that's not. It's just one thing I didn't write down. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna pretend it's his name. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, it's yeah, it's, one of those places that people finally remember. And again, it was one of the premier facilities in the 1930s, you know, when when racing was still rather young, uh, they would, you know, like I said, draw four to five thousand people. Yeah, it's a it's a wild place to think about. Oh, it was like, also one of the first tracks with lights. Interesting. All right. And this I is like the that. other. Yeah, this is the other story I wanted to the one the story about the rowdy crowds so there was a time when uh the um they're getting getting set for the the main event the race and the uh the promoter kind of casually announced to the uh drivers there that the announced purse of seven hundred dollars would only be four hundred dollars um which caused the drivers to refuse to race they started packing up their you know packing up their cars on their little trailers and and heading out, which uh, really angered the fans, and the fans ended up damaging the lighting system, tearing down part of one of the grandstands, and 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 tearing down a bit of the the fencing that they did have there. So uh, it turned into a bit of a riot. So uh, good God, you know. Yeah. So the last thing I'll end with is more about if you want to go visit over there. There's limiting limited parking off the entrance of U.S. Highway 41 and no trespassing and a beware of dog sign. I don't know if that's supposed to mean much other than maybe they have dogs patrolling, but metal barrier prohibits vehicles, but doors on the wooden gate are typically wide open. So that's pretty cool that they you know understand the history and allow you to check it out. Most of it's just grass at this point. I don't think there's any actual pavement of sorts left in any picture that i can find i don't know if you found anything different but really... i was reading in an article that if you kind of like dig into the grass a little bit that 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 gravel and stuff is still there because you can they say if you yeah. look real close you can still see the profile of the track and if you just kind of like dig into the, the grass a little bit it's although the crushed gravel is still under there but uh but not highly visible you kind of you know got to seek it out yeah, makes makes sense. And so, yeah, I think this is one of the more unique tracks that we've talked about. Obviously, it's decently known. The Indy Star wrote about it six or seven years ago. I vaguely remember that. And obviously, Dale Jr. took his TV show there in the last couple of years. But one that I definitely want to get to in 2022, maybe I'll bring GoPro and take some video and have some fun and who knows. But yeah, Frank, I appreciate you hanging out and doing a a quick lost tracks with me here. We'll definitely be doing a couple more of these in the off seasons. We, we all try to stay busy, but uh, yeah, man, I appreciate your help and your expertise as always. Yeah. I appreciate uh, you having me on here, man. And we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah, man. I appreciate the time and have a good rest of your day. Yeah, you too. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early. So everyone can go home on time. There's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.